Women account for 50% of the global population, yet they only represent about one in three high-growth entrepreneurs and one in three innovation entrepreneurs focused on national and international markets, according to Global Entrepreneurship Monitor. It's high time we change that. Emerging Europe Talks She's Next, empowered by Visa, is a series of podcasts with, about, and for women to support them in their efforts to fund, run, and grow their small businesses and startups. Meanwhile, check out the community platform for female entrepreneurs in Eastern Europe and Central Asia at she'snext.emergingeurope.org. Hello, everyone. This is Andrew Robel. I am the founding partner of Emerging Europe, and I'm super delighted to be the host of this podcast. Hi, everyone. My name is Christina Dorosh. I'm regional manager for Central Asia and Azerbaijan. And uh, there could probably could not be a more inspiring participant in this podcast than the person who will be introducing herself right now. Hi, guys. I'm Nadia Jeksimbaeva. I am a recovering academic, a scientist and now entrepreneur plus educator and founder and chief reinvention officer of Reinvention Academy. Welcome to the She's Next podcast, empowered by Visa. Nadia, I was watching one of your videos, very inspirational videos. I think this one was recorded in Bucharest, if I'm correct. And you said that your own relationship with change started long before you were born. Tell us a little bit about it. Absolutely. I think all of us are impacted by the context in which we are born and the experience we have. I'm just reading one of the most beautiful books on finance, The Psychology of Money, which really breaks down the science of how our history is impacting our financial decisions. Because being born in a particular decade where a particular level of inflation was present or stocks or bonds were behaving in a particular way completely changes our assumptions and our decisions about money. Same with change. If we were born in the era of a relative stability, our relationship with change will be different than if we were born in turbulence. And I was born into a century and a family that went through every kind of disruption imaginable in the course of about 70 years. As many know, and probably can guess by my last name and all of us present on this podcast come from the region of Central Eastern Europe, Central Asia. This particular neck of the woods has gone through tremendous, tremendous turbulence, two brutal world wars, multiple civil wars in between, every kind of disruption possible. And then that finished with a collapse of our governments. So my relationship with change is shaped by those events. And if for some people, stability is a norm, for me, turbulence is the norm. And that makes me today in 2023, as we are facing the disruption we're facing in the, at a competitive advantage, meaning I'm more ready to deal with change. I'm less resistant to it. And I'm more likely to look at it as an opportunity than I am to be completely shattered by yet another crisis or yet another boss who is asking for a new requirement. It is actually very important to be saying this, like you said, in 2023, because that is exactly what we are going through, a volatile, a turbulent 
world, also facing a war in the region again. Christina, you look at it from a corporate perspective. How is that change a necessary factor that we need to look at in our everyday lives? Well, Nadia said it best, and the only thing I could add from my perspective is that no matter is it a corporate life or a personal life, it is your life as an organism, as a body, be it institutional one or physical one. And given all the turbulence we're facing and given all the circumstances, we need to adapt to change or let me put it disappear, right? Let me put it in a less harmful way. Because otherwise, probably we not being able to adapt to change, not being on the position of resisting to change, we are significantly diminishing our uh, possibility to grow, develop, and achieve some any meaningful results. Therefore, as a corporation or as a person or as a woman entrepreneur, we face changes, we need to adapt to, and we need to continue our development to be able to go further. Because, you know, I'm kind of jumping to this perspective from a female entrepreneurship and a woman facing changes, like living in her community and facing all those turbulences. And of course, we can say that these turbulences are somewhere there on the kind of higher macro economical or geopolitical level. But of course, we all understand that all of those cascades to the life of simple people and impact it severely. And then as, as a woman, I have to no matter what, if you will, I have to provide my family, I have to take care of my kids, I have to, and I want to probably develop my maybe life dream. And therefore, from corporation to personalities, we that's a given today. We need to be resilient to change, not resist change, and understand how to cope with it better to achieve results, no matter if we speak about the small business run by a woman, say, or a big corporation like Visa. Nadia, tell us about your entrepreneurial path, because that is also a source of inspiration. Well, I want to first start by giving you context and data. As a scientist, I love data, and it always drives my decisions also as an entrepreneur. And following up on what Christina was saying, the data we're seeing right now on the speed of change is staggering. So in the 20th century, the average life cycle of a typical business, whether it's a tiny one-person business or it's a billion-dollar corporation, the average life cycle was about 75 years. That meant I could do the same thing for 40, 50, 60 years and make money on it. That cycle shrunk, according to our research, by the end of late 80s, early 90s. This is geopolitical, the collapse of Soviet Union, opening of China, the collapse of socialist bloc, and that combined with dot-com boom and the tech boom of the 90s. And suddenly, instead of 75, we went to 15 and didn't stop there. Because now our last 2022 data shows that the median life cycle of a business model is only six years, including monopolies and loan investment businesses. That would be oil and gas, that would be mining. But for small and medium-sized businesses and quite a lot of other type of businesses, According to our data, 21, almost 21% of all businesses today have to reinvent every 12 months or less. And all small businesses are in that category, meaning that just the moment you think you figured out your business, whether you are the solopreneur or you have a couple of people in your team or you're in big corporation, just the moment you thought you figured out your business, 
it's time to break it and start doing something different. And that's been my entrepreneur story. So I started, as I said, in a academic world. Before the academic world in the 90s, many of us had to work to help our parents survive. So my very first job was in an insurance business selling life insurance of all things in the collapsing Soviet Union. Nobody heard the word insurance, let alone life insurance. I was really bad at it. But I went to academic world, did my PhD and became a professor in a business school. And in that business school, we only worked with executives, uh, top management. This is a school where you couldn't get a bachelor degree, it's executive only. And in that school, in 2007, I had a person in my classroom who was CEO of a massive company in the region who said, well, you speak so well, I almost believe you, but you have no business experience. So I suggest you get some before you come and teach us again. And in 2015, we started a consulting business. And that's where my entrepreneurship story started. Oh, sorry. 2007, that will be 15, almost 16 years, 2007. Almost 16 years this year that I'm an entrepreneur. And then we went into other businesses as well. We tried our hands in textile. We are investment in real estate. We now have an educational business. But it started because the market asked me. And I think that's a very important thing that most of us as entrepreneurs get excited about our idea, our solution, our whatever is that that we want to bring to the market, where the most successful companies start with the market. What does your customer want? This was one customer. He was our first customer in consulting. It's one customer who gave us important piece of feedback, not looking at it as a negative because I could have seen it as a negative feedback, but taking that and turning it into a business became our signature. So right now we do customer research uh, nearly weekly. We have mm -hmm. micro data, we have deep dive interviews. We ask our customers nonstop what's going on with them, what's changing in their environment, how they're spending their money, how they're spending their time, what's happening so that we can adapt and be the ones who are here in the market, but then offering something unique to the market. And that doesn't need to be big. That can start with selling snacks or flowers on the streets, but ear to the ground, listening to the customer and really understanding what's the real problem that you're trying to solve rather than being attached to your own perfect idea of what you need to sell. It's very interesting what you're saying. And I would like to hear your thoughts about the differences between your country of origin, which is Kazakhstan. We haven't mentioned the country yet. And you're currently speaking with us from the US. So if you could tell us how you see those differences between you know, running a business in Central Asia and in the US, in Western Europe? Well, there are a lot of pluses and minuses on both sides. Mm -hmm. So it's really about harnessing the power of all markets. So it's not a question, it's absolutely known fact that doing business in the US is incredibly light comparing to doing business in some other countries in terms of regulation, in terms of ease of registration, in terms of the kind of documents and knowledge you need to have to be able to manage taxation properly and legally and so on. So generally speaking, the paper load in the U.S. is 10 plus times easier than the paper load in the former Soviet Union. I also lived for 10 years in Slovenia, so from former Yugoslavia and all over Europe. Generally speaking, U.S. 
is lighter in terms of entering the business, uh, cheaper, and in terms of managing it from a perspective of accounting, taxation. And that becomes a barrier, right? So you get intimidated by not knowing how to fill out a taxation form. You get intimidated by a lot of paperwork. And I think that is a myth that we need to bust as women, that this is intimidating or hard. Because of the access to resources we have, including the resources of the She's Next program, we have so much right now that that thing that looks difficult is actually relatively simple. It's just presented intimidating, but it's not that incredibly difficult. Now, that's on the plus side in U.S., but there are minus sides in U.S., which is the general level of hunger versus complacency. So our region is hungry. And I'm not only talking about the economic situation. I'm much more talking about the entrepreneurial spirit. We want to drive, to create, to break. And we, because of the past experience and the conditions in which we start, we appreciate even the smallest opportunity much more than the average American appreciates immense opportunity, right? So you can get access to capital in the U.S. You can get access to coaching and training for free government and mm-hmm. all kinds of nonprofits provide you this tons. And people don't take advantage and don't understand how incredibly fortunate that is. That's why in our region, whenever we have new resources available for entrepreneurs, especially female entrepreneurs, I think we jump on them with more eagerness and we appreciate them more and therefore we use them more. So what we can do with a small resource is incomparable with what other markets can do with a significant resource. And then I can give you a shocking surprise on the female story. So very often we... Yeah, we often look at our countries as some kind of diminished or, I don't know, third world and all kinds of other things. I think we're a dynamic economy. I do not believe in the concept of third world economies. And in that sense, especially when it comes to women's rights during the last hundred years, our region was pioneering. So the rights that my parents took for granted in the Soviet Union, and especially when it came to women, women in leading positions, women being heads of factories, women having positions in government, incomparable to some of the most respected countries in the world, the rights of women in Switzerland are decades behind rights of women in Kazakhstan. The rights of women in the U.S., even in this century, women have more trouble in U.S. when it comes to getting access to loans, getting a lot of opportunities, let alone last century, even in the 90s and 80s. A typical woman would have to have a guarantee of a man in the 80s. I'm not talking 30s. I'm mm-hmm. talking right now. A woman would have to have guarantees of a man to get a loan to start a business. So there is a lot that I know that it has been changing in the last few decades. And some of our regions are falling back in some way in terms of opportunity for women. But the root of the last few decades, the last 70 plus years, there is a freedom that I would like us to cherish and protect that came from the difficult Soviet period. And in that, there were some good things. And one of the good things is that women did truly have 
uh, tremendous opportunities in leadership positions that they may have not had in other parts of the world. Christina, how do you see these challenges that uh, women or female entrepreneurs are facing in Central Asia right now? To continue kind of this course of ideas, say, for instance, if we speak about how advanced our part of the world is and Kazakhstan specifically, for instance, as we speak of Kazakhstan now, speaking in terms of, the, say, innovations and payments and technologies we use here, trust me, people in other parts of the world would dream of these opportunities we have and what we take for granted in day-to-day life and payments, you know, that our ability to move money around sitting in my chair and having just my phone in my hand, that's uncomparable to anything else in the world. Trust me, I know that for sure, because I'm an expert specifically in this area. Yet to say, I still see areas where access to the payments, funds, money, still be improved, and specifically by these initiatives, which we do to, uh, as part of Visa, work on supporting female entrepreneurs. So that's one, to me, expanding this access, growing this access of, say, women uh, entrepreneurs to the funds, to the uh, opportunity to get budget, to the knowledge on how to do their business. And yet to it, I see another angle. As uh, we are centuries old, we do have centuries-old traditions on where a woman is a heart of the family, soul of the family, right? She supports her immediate family or larger family, even her kids, her parents, and so on and so forth. Here is a, here may be a struggle, even though, as Nada said, you know, my mom was working full day, like equally as my dad did in Soviet Union. And that was the, the pattern across all of our countries. Yet still, now I can see that there is some pressure around mm-hmm. this sticking, adhering to tradition, which is rightfully so, because, you know, we shouldn't expect and we don't even want to, like, to harm these traditions because they are, they are the foundation of the culture. Yet finding this uh, reasonable and uh, valuable balance in women's life, you know, caring of your family, and at the same time, being able to pursue your dream to uh, do something meaningful in business to support your family even more. So finding this balance, probably something we were thinking about trying to, to kind of, you know, put our hand on it, where is it? And that's why our kind of second wave of She's Next initiative we've uh, recently launched and uh, hold in, in Central Asia was exactly about that balance. Mm-hmm how to find it, how to balance it, your family life and your business life, how to be successful in both these parts. And here probably we shouldn't fool ourselves with the, you know, opportunity to effective, to be those perfect type of moms or housewives and at the same time, perfect businesswoman, like, you know, jungling easily with all these parts of life. Let's admit that's not possible, at least in my view. And therefore, probably the smart strategy to move in that would be prioritizing the part of your life which needs most attention at the moment. If it's your kids, for instance, being in a situation where where they need really more attention, then forget your business for that moment. Focus on your family because they need you right now. Or vice versa, when it's something critical going on with your business or you are starting it, then you kind of have the agreement with, with your family. Guys, this is something I need to focus on. I need your support for these three months to be more on that side of the of the equation. So probably like looking around those things would help us to progress even more in the areas where already quite advanced, as Nadia mentioned, I fully agree with that. And yet with helping 
providing support, education, and inspiration for these women entrepreneurs, we can help them move the needle. Thank you very much for mentioning that. I want to pick up on what you just said and also ask about your friendship, because I know that you have been friends for quite some time already. And uh, tell me what it is like to support each other when you actually need it. And I would also like to ask you how important that support is between women in general. I'll start. <laughs> so... We shared before we started recording that Christina and I know each other since 2009, I want to say. It was class of 2009. Yeah. So imagine the scene. You meet a, a relatively young professor in a business school, exec at business school, and a vice president of a bank in the same class. So I was on the professor side and Christina was on the student side. But in that environment, who is a student and who is a professor, right? So you, we are all learning from each other. And in that environment, it's all about creating conditions where we can all share because the wisdom in the room is tremendous with all of these executives. So I was her professor in quotation marks, but really we both met, especially if I can say from my side, it was a very challenging time in my life. So my daughter in 2009 was five. I just moved from US to Europe, very disorienting. I was trying to figure out what I want to do in the world. And it's a difficult and confusing time in a woman's life where you are just recovering from the years of childbirth where it's just you are not belonging to yourself. I haven't seen a movie in a movie theater until she was seven. We had no childcare we could afford. So the first time we went to see a movie since she was born, she was seven years old. And we met and I was in a kind of half depressive state. And Christina and the beautiful community from the female exec MBA students would physically like you're going with us and we're gonna wake you up and it's time for you to start focusing on yourself. And that's how our friendship started. True. And I can add from my side that, as Nade is saying, she was having this confusing time in a way in her life from all these uh, reasons she mentioned. I probably had more clarity on the direction I wanted to pursue because by then I was moving from middle to top management in one of the banks from in Moldova. But what I really lacked at that time was the knowledge practically, how should I progress? What do I need? What skills do I need to develop to be able to go further? And second, probably the most critical thing was real lack of confidence in doing all those. So meeting Nadia and, of course, all the wisdom in the room we had with all those executives, my, my peers in the class, that was something that really stick to me and gave me that stamina, you know. That's probably when my stamina was if not maybe not born, but surely developed and became real vertical. Because that's when I realized that I am capable, I can, I just need to learn how. And with these to move further. So that's uh, what was Nadia's role in my life, supporting that stamina, you know, in development. And now speaking about the support of women, women supporting women, no matter what kind of activity they are in, be it the corporate life, be it the entrepreneurship, be it academia, to me, and this is exact reflection of our friendship with Nadia from my perspective. Two things. First, it's inspiration. 
because sometimes when you feel down, when you think you're, when you think your things are going south and you are no good at anything, then I see, I look at Nida's speeches, I listen to her online, I read the, the posts, and I said to myself, okay, you know what? That's the meaning you've been missing, maybe. That's something you should pay more attention to because that's something she indicated in her speech that really resonates and that helps you find the resource, the wisdom, the knowledge to continue. That's first, the inspiration. And second, second is the very practical thing. Like, I know that Nadia is somewhere there in the world, be it U.S., be it Kazakhstan, be it anywhere else in the world, and I know she is one WhatsApp text away. Nadia, I need help. What should yeah. I do in this situation? And Nadia has been always there for me, supporting with the really very practical and concrete advices. So besides the pure inspiration, is also like real practical and very you know, concrete support of each other. And I do have few women in my life that's become a spiritual family, if you will. And the same things I've mentioned about Nadia, they play this role for me, inspiration, practical advice, and being kind of sounding board. That's when you need to assess whether you are on the right path and you need someone to help you. So this is probably the key pillars that the, our friendship lies on and where we're supporting each other. And I'm trying really, you know, I feel that karma needs to share what I've been given by other women who supported me to share it further on with like younger girls, which are around me in my team, anywhere I meet them. So that's kind of the flow of the hopefully flow of wisdom, of support, of inspiration I can provide. I feel it as my duty to do so and the duty I like, because that's important. I know how important it is. I've been there. So I'm trying to kind of cascade this further. Same goes for me. So we try to meet when we physically can. So whenever we travel, we are like, I'm here for one day. When are you landing? Can we cross paths? Can we have a coffee? And try to really advise each other. If we cannot find time synchronously, I record a message. Christina records a message and we just keep going that way. But I think there is one more thing I want to mention in terms of, I absolutely with inspiration. So it's been a huge source for me to see the decisions Christina makes and get inspired from that and ask myself, oh, that's an interesting move. How would I handle that situation? Oh, this is so beautiful to see. Ah, you can do it too and whatever else. It's practical support. And I would add one more thing. There is a women part of that. There's a female part of that. We are mothers. There's not men I can ask about things on how do you deal with a growing children while you are growing your career, right? Mm -hmm. There is, there are husbands involved. So we have careers and you need to manage your relationship with your partner because if you don't reinvent your relationship on a regular basis, you reinvent in a very divergent directions and you will not enjoy that process. There are other things that we have seen that I cannot compare with uh, men. And here I want to mention this for younger women who I often see in both corporate and entrepreneurial environment, getting on the competitive spirit. They are trying to beat each other up or compare yes. to each other, compare each other Instagrams or compare each other, whatever corporate performance card and so on. I think for us, once you get on top and you understand you are the only one in the room with men, 
you're like, I wish I didn't beat those five others and they were not sitting now sitting with me and it would be not so lonely. I think there is a mistake there to think that we need to compete Mm -hmm. because the reality is the way, and this is supported by countless research. There's research that shows if there's a woman on the board of business, it does so much better than without a woman on the board of business. There's tons of research on how diverse groups with women present make the company more resilient and on and on and on. But we do things differently. We do things differently because our context is different because we are multi-stakeholder beings from birth. A woman has to manage many more stakeholders than a typical man from birth. So then we know how to negotiate the plus-plus between tons of stakeholders who are part of a business decision rather than one, but we can only do that if we stop competing and we start relying on each other. So my invitation to all the younger women who think they need to shame other women or compare Instagram accounts or fight for that promotion, actually once you win that promotion, you wish there were three other women sitting in the chair next to you. So instead of fighting, try to figure out how to create a win-win for others involved. And how can you rely on the particular skills that women have to build the community and the network you need for long run? Because a single win in a promotion is a one-time event, but your life is long and things will happen And you will need another woman to ask, how in the heck do I deal with my teenage daughter now? I need to go to a conference and I have a hysteria at home. What did you do? Right? That's the kind of reliance that carries you for decades, not for one time when. And I can surely support what Nadia just said from my own experience, Mm -hmm. because unfortunately, unlike Nadia, unfortunately, I still guess, I didn't have this entrepreneurial experience. I haven't been in the entrepreneurship myself. So my life somehow became very corporate from the very beginning. And yet uh, this is so true because my instinct reaction advancing in career was, of course, competition, compete. I need to be the best. I need to be the fastest. I need to be to move, you know, uh, the most efficient way, competing with all like men around me, women and men around me. And then I figured, and it was intuitive. And now, you know, when reading all those researches and you find all, all this data and facts to support it, back then it was purely intuitive. God, we are different. I mean, we are different in terms of our psychology, in terms of our instincts, in terms of how our brain works and operates. How can I compete with this guy? It's like comparing I would compete with a man in a physical sport or discipline. I cannot just because I cannot. Mm. And then I figured there should be other way to be effective in this, in this collaboration. And then I figured I realized that, and I had the situation, I was one single woman on the board, full of men, obviously, and I could sense that my presence, and it's not about me as a personality, like it's me, it's about female versus man, male mm-hmm. there. Me as a woman being present on this board could so much decrease the tension when it was needed, could so much offer a view when everyone would be kind of stuck in this confrontation, would so much help the group dynamics and moving it more efficiently and therefore finding more effective and efficient decisions, that it was a blessing for me to kind of Understand that it's not a competition. It's a soft power you have, you can employ, and that works much more effectively when you build this win-win with your colleagues and not compete, 
but help them and therefore they help you. So it's a very, very true story that Nadia just said. Thank you very much for this piece of advice for women. Do not compete with each other and uh, support each other. Thank you so much for this chat. It was a real pleasure to speak to the both of you. Same here. Happy to be. Thank you, Andrew. And happy to be on the same discussion with you, Snyder. And hope to see you soon anywhere in the world. I hope so. I hope so. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked the episode, give us a thumbs up and share it with other like-minded audiences. And make sure to join the She's Next, empowered by Visa in partnership with Emerging Europe Digital Community Platform at she'snext.emergingeurope.org.